We shouldn't talk about this may contain graphic descriptions and or explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Oh, man. I got to stretch real quick. Long night out partying? Out partying? I wouldn't exactly say so. I was kind of crunching when it came to getting my stories up and all good. Oh, I thought you were going to say crunching like exercising. Well, I, I did I did do some of those in between. But I do those so sporadically, I don't know if they actually do progress for me or not, you know? Hey, every little bit helps. Isn't that what they say? That is what they say. But when you get cramps when you're doing them incorrectly, that shouldn't be good, right? No, that should not be happening. Maybe you need one of those ab rollers that they had, like, you know, back in the early 2000s. As long as I can see the infomercial first, then I'll totally get one. Yeah, you should check on YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, uh, have you seen our YouTube page lately? I have seen our YouTube page lately. I wonder if our listeners have seen it. Well, I hope they have because, you know, a lot of work goes into getting those YouTubes together. And we do it because that's what the people asked for. They wanted a YouTube page and we gave it to them. Yeah, we'll make it convenient for you. I know a lot of people don't like downloading tons of apps and signing in to things that they don't know too much about. So YouTube is sort of like a universal come here kind of place. You don't have to have an account to go to YouTube. You just got you can check it out. And you can comment on there and tell us what you think about the cases. And if you've heard any kind of different info instead of what we're saying, then definitely put in the comments and we'll reply to it. And we'll have a nice little discussion there also. Absolutely. And, you know, they can subscribe to us and like our individual videos. It's just audio. It's no actual video. But like we said, we're just trying to make it easier for our podcast to get to the masses. Right. And right now with what's going on, recording remotely is a little bit safer than coming together just to make a video. Yes. So check us out on YouTube as well. And also, I want to shout out The Coco Show with David Strand. I was a guest on two of their episodes, and I'm definitely going to go into more information in our how we're going to bring this up segment but i wanted to give them a shout out at the beginning as well they're a great podcast and i will talk about it more at the end thank you coco show for having key on a very special episode two very special episodes Ooh, two very special episodes yes hot dog hot dog indeed so v what are we not talking about today you know, I have personally never been to Arizona, but I hear that you have. I have. I was out there for about three months with my job, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was in Phoenix, and it was beautiful. You know, it was kind of uh, hot because I was there from like May to the beginning of August. And yeah, I was there during like the hottest time of the year. And it's just like, you know, if you turned your oven on broil and just opened it and just stood in front of it all day long, like that's how it feels. But it's still so beautiful. 
and I love like those big cartoon looking cactuses that I didn't even know were actual real cactuses until I saw them out there. I thought that was just something cartoons made up. <laughs> I think I always think that that the art that goes into the cartoons have some kind of you know some kind of uh, realism to it. Yeah, like I you know I learned that I was very very surprised. So. And I think I think the word you were looking for was cacti, also. Cacti, yes. But I like I like them when they're like tall and skinny. Like I, I like those type of cacti. You can always buy some succulent ones that look like cacti. Maybe I'll just get a picture and blow it up and put it on the wall. Seems like a lot less work. A lot less work, I see. So with. Us talking about Arizona, that means this must be another United States of Crimes episode. That is correct. Another United States of Crime episode. Crimes in Arizona. Yes, and I have a doozy. Oh, yeah? Yes, it's a very recent case. And it's it's a good one. All right, Key, you may take us along for the ride. Ooh, I'm going first today? Yes. All right, well, let's get this train rolling. Gather around, children. It's time for a tale of crime. Jody Ann Arias was born on July 9, 1980, in Salinas, California, to William and Sandra Arias. Travis Victor Alexander was born July 28, 1977, in Riverside, California, to Gary and Pamela Alexander. After his father's death, Travis, who was 11 at the time, and his siblings were taken in by their paternal grandmother, Norma Jean, who eventually introduced them to the Church of Jesus Christ and of Latter-day Saints. Travis was a salesman for the multi-level marketing company, Prepaid Legal Services. He also worked as a motivational speaker. He was living in Arizona and Arius was a resident of Palm Desert, California. At the time of their meeting, Arius was an aspiring photographer. She and Travis Alexander met in September 2006 at a prepaid legal services conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. Arius was immediately infatuated with Travis. Now, this is how deep this went this quickly. She even converted to the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints because Travis was a devout member and was baptized by Travis on November 26, 2006. Yeah, that is pretty deep. Yeah, like they had just met in September. Now, although they were outwardly dedicated to their faith, they immediately developed a sexual relationship despite the religion's strict ban on premarital sex. Travis and Arius began dating in February 2007, and she moved to Mesa, Arizona to live closer to him, but ultimately moved back to California to Wairika to live with her grandparents. So she converted her religion before they even started dating. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, she uh, definitely was clinging on to that. Yes. Like, that is some next-level stuff. Like, some, okay, maybe some people don't take religion as serious as other people. I don't know if that's, you know, 
was her deal. Like she just didn't feel it was a big deal to convert before a lot of people like changing your whole religion for somebody is a major, major step. Yeah. That's a lifelong step. Yes. Cause you know, if you're going to follow rules of a different religion, you know, it might be certain things that you can't do that you're used to doing. Like that's a big Mm -hmm. step to take for somebody you're not even dating. Absolutely. So Travis and uh, Arius dated intermittently for a year and a half, often in a long distance relationship, taking turns traveling between their respective Arizona and California homes. Travis's friend who knew Arius and I'm saying her last name because I don't even want to give her that type of respect. Like you can be your last name, Travis, you know, it's going to be Travis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Travis's friends who knew Arius and observed them together tended to have a negative opinion of her stating that the relationship was unusually tumultuous and that Arius's behavior was worrying. After only five months as a couple, they went their separate ways in late June of 2007 but they maintained a sexual relationship. And a lot of people think that's kind of where the problem was because of their faith. Since there was a ban on premarital sex, it's like she assumed because they were having sex that that meant he was going to be willing to marry her at some point. But that's kind of not what happened. Actually, it's like it's been reported that that's actually what kept him from being serious, like not that she was too easy, but that he felt like, okay, since I've had premarital sex with her, I can't marry her. Mm. So. You know, you got to talk about these things, don't just be converting religions all willy nilly, you got to like sit down and see what it entails. Yeah, right. Now, in early 2008, Travis told people that Arius would join him for a work-related trip to Cancun, Mexico, that was scheduled for June 15th. But in April, Travis changed his travel companion to another female friend. On May 28, 2008, a burglary occurred at the residence of Arius' grandparents in Wairika, with whom she was living. Among the missing objects was a 25 caliber automatic Colt pistol, which was never recovered. This later became significant as a shell case from a spent 25 caliber round was found near Travis's body at the murder scene. Now, on June 2nd, between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m., Arias called Travis four times but did not appear to get through to him since the longest of the calls was only 17 seconds. After 3 a.m., Travis called Arius twice, the first time for 18 minutes and the second time for 41 minutes. At 4.03 a.m., Arius called Travis back and the call lasted 2 minutes, 48 seconds. At 5.39 a.m., Arius set out to drive south to rent a car for a long trip to Utah, as shown by evidence of a gasoline purchase in Wairika. 
On June 2nd at 8.04, Arias rented a car in Redding, California. She indicated she would be returning the car to Redding also. She visited friends in Southern California on her way to Utah for a PPL work conference and to meet with Ryan Burns, a PPL coworker. By late evening on June 3rd, Arias had apparently set out for Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, on the evening of June 4th, Travis missed an important conference call. The following day, Arias met up with Burns in West Jordan, Utah, which is like a suburb of Salt Lake City, and attended business meetings for the conference. Burns later said he noticed Arias's formerly blonde hair was now dark brown and she had cuts on her hands. On June 6th, she left Salt Lake City and drove west toward California. She called Travis several times and left several voicemail messages for him. She also accessed his cell phone voicemail system. When she returned the car on June 7th, it had been driven about 2,800 miles or 4,500 kilometers. That's a lot. In like that is a lot. Four days. <laughs> the rental clerk testified that the car was missing its floor mats and had red stains on its front and rear seats. It could not be verified that the car had floor mats when Arius picked it up, and any stains could not be verified since the car was clean before police could examine it. On June 9th, having been unable to reach Travis, a concerned group of friends went to his home. His roommates had not seen him for several days, but they believed he was out of town. Now, after finding a key to Travis's locked master bedroom, his friends entered and found large pools of blood in the hallway to the master bathroom. And they discovered his body in the shower. In the 911 call, the dispatcher asked if Travis had been suicidal or if anyone was angry enough to hurt him. Travis's friends specifically mentioned Arias as a possible suspect, stating that Alexander had said she was stalking him, accessing his Facebook account, and slashing his tires. Now, I don't want to victim blame, but it seems like she was getting mixed messages. Like, you know, you don't, you say you don't want to be with her, she's stalking you, but you're still having a sexual relationship with her. Yeah, there's definitely some hanging on on his end also. Right. And maybe it was just like, you know, just a sexual thing for him. Like, okay, any girl I get serious about, I can't have sex with her. But if Jody Arias is willing to just have sex with me whenever, I'll just hang on to her and do what I want to do and then pursue like a nice Latter-day Saints girl who is opposed to premarital sex like we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, not victim blaming, but it just seemed like she was getting mixed signals. While searching Travis's home, police found his recently purchased digital camera damaged in the washing machine. Police were able to recover deleted images showing Arias and Alexander in sexually suggestive poses, 
taken at approximately 1.40 p.m. on June 4th. The final photograph of Travis alive showing him in the shower was taken at 5.29 p.m. that day. Photos taken moments later show an individual believed to be Alexander Travis profusely bleeding on the bathroom floor. A bloody palm print was discovered along the wall in the bathroom hallway. It contained DNA from both Arius and Travis. Now, on July 9th, 2008, Arius was indicted by a grand jury in Maricopa County, Arizona, for the first-degree murder of Travis Alexander. She was arrested at her home and extradited to Arizona. Arias pleaded not guilty on September 11th. During this time, she gave several different accounts about her involvement in Alexander's death. She originally told the police that she had not been in Mesa on the day of the murder and had last seen Travis in March 2008. So, obviously, she thought putting the camera in the washing machine was going to get rid of all those pictures. Why, does she, why didn't she like take the SD card out and melt it? Oh, wait, because she didn't know an SD card existed. No, she she was an up-and-coming photographer, so I'm sure she knew Mm -hmm. that it existed. She's just not smart. Told the police that two intruders had broken into Travis's home, murdering him and attacking her. Two years after her arrest, Arias told the police that she killed Travis in self-defense, claiming she had been a victim of domestic violence. Now, that's another thing I don't like. Don't try to slander the person you killed because they're not here to defend themselves. That's number one. And number two, if you were a victim of domestic violence and you told absolutely nobody, but yet all his friends had heard from him that you were doing crazy things, that just doesn't seem plausible. Yeah, um, women like Aries give domestic violence a very, like, cried wolf kind of name. Right, and that makes it hard for women who are actually Actually, victims to be believed. Yeah, that's not right. Right, like, that's horrible that she would even do that, like, try to, like, put him on trial when he's the one that's dead, first of all. But second of all, she had no police reports to back this up, like, no pictures, no witnesses like come on you would tell at least one close friend like you know sometimes he roughed me up or you know things aren't always that great you would say something to at least one person maybe not always but you know even even if you don't say something people close to you can kind of figure it out figure it out right they can tell like when there's a change Mm -hmm. you know but that you know i don't i don't like to Now, Arius took the stand in her own defense, because most narcissists do, on February 4th, 2013, testifying for a total of 18 days. 18 days? Yeah. That's a long time to have to testify. Yes, it is. Arius testified that her relationship with Travis became increasingly physically and emotionally abusive. She said that Travis shook her while saying, I'm fucking sick of you, and then began, quote unquote, screaming at me 
after which he, quote, body slammed me on the floor at the foot of his bed and taunted her saying, don't act like it hurts before he called her a bitch and kicked her in the ribs. Sounds like she's watched the movie and it's like, yeah, like I remember all this stuff to tell the jury. Right. Afterwards, Arius said, he went to kick me again and I put my hand out. Arius held up her left hand in the courtroom, showing that her ring finger was crooked. According to Arius, the dysfunction of their relationship reached its climax when she killed him in self-defense after he became enraged when she dropped his camera, forcing her to fight for her life. This was the third different account of Travis's death given by Arius, which both prosecutors, courtroom observers, and later jurors felt severely damaged her credibility. Rebuttal witnesses from the prosecution, including several of Travis's other girlfriends, stated he never exhibited any problems with anger or violence. The prosecution argued that since a 25 caliber round was found near Alexander's body and that a gun of the same caliber was quote-unquote stolen from Arius's residence in Wairika the week before, she had staged the burglary and used the, the gun to kill Travis, which I feel like they're not making a big leap on that. Prosecutor Juan Martinez claims Arias had stalked Alexander and had slashed his tires twice. In addition, in the final days before his death, Travis had called her a sociopath and the, quote, worst thing that ever happened to me and stated he was afraid of her. Now, at the trial, Arias addressed comments that she had made in September 2008 in an interview with syndicated news program Inside Edition, which had been played earlier in the trial. In the interview, she said, quote, no jury is going to convict me because I am innocent. You can mark my words on that. Discussing the statement during her testimony, Aria said, at the time of the interview, I had plans to commit suicide, so I was extremely confident that no jury would convict me because I didn't expect any of you to be here. So that that was her mm. reasoning behind why she said she would not get convicted. Wow, wow, wow. Right. So at the close of his cross-examination, Prosecutor Martinez replayed the video and prompted Arias to affirm that she said during the interview that she would not be convicted because she was innocent. When being questioned by Martinez, Arias was initially combative and flippant but after several days, Martinez was able to highlight the numerous lies and inconsistencies in her testimony, and she admitted to stabbing and shooting Alexander despite her earlier claims of a lapse in memory. On May 7, 2013, after 15 hours of deliberation, Arias was found guilty of first-degree murder. On May 21st, Arias was offered an allocution during which she pleaded for a life sentence. Arias acknowledged that her plea for life was a reversal of the remarks she made to a TV reporter shortly after her conviction, 
when she said she preferred the death penalty. Quote, each time I said that, I meant it, but I lacked perspective, she said. Until very recently, I cannot imagine standing before you and asking you to give me life. She said she changed her mind to avoid bringing more pain to the members of her family who were in the courtroom. And disgustingly, disgustingly, at one point, she held up a white t-shirt with the word survivor written across it, telling the jurors that she would sell the clothing and donate all the proceeds to victims of domestic abuse. No, she didn't. She did. She also said she would donate her hair to Locks of Love while in prison, and she had already done so three times while in jail. The jury couldn't agree on whether or not to impose the death penalty, so the judge declared a mistrial for the penalty phase. Which, I didn't know they could do that. I thought, like, you know, it could only be a mistrial for the actual trial. Yeah. But, apparently, you can have a mistrial for just the penalty phase of the trial. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That is. There was a sentencing retrial in October 2014, but the jury also couldn't come to a unanimous decision either, so Judge Stevens sentenced Arias to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. By March 5, 2015, Arias' trials cost an estimated $3 million. Damn. Could you imagine the taxpayers of Arizona having to pay $3 million for all these trials she's had? That isn't, uh, I, I, uh, no. Right, and then look how long it, it drug out, like, she killed him in 2008. She didn't get sentenced until 2014. Mm. So, there was a made-for-TV movie called Jody Arias, Dirty Little Secret, created by the Lifetime Network that premiered um, June 22nd, 2013. And there's also a Jody Arias, An American Murder Mystery, which is a documentary that came out in 2018. And that is it. That is my Arizona crime. Wow. I... Man, I really, I really hate that. She, um, she obviously was just like, so just obsessed with this guy. She was going to, well, that she did like change her uh, religious beliefs for him. And just wouldn't accept that he was trying to move on from her. And just pretty much just like, if no one can, if I can have you, no one can and murdered him. Right, and that's, like, the sad thing, like, just move on, people. Like, it is not worth, it's not worth taking their life and then going to jail for life or possibly getting death. And then where, like, how do you even win in that situation? Because they're still not there for you to be with. Even if you don't murder them, if you harm them and you go to jail for attempted murder, they're still not going to be with you. No. So what's the point? There is no point. There is no point. There really isn't. And like the whole like she is just so smug and uh I just cannot 
cannot stand her personality. Like she's just so smug about the whole thing. Yes, like she didn't do anything wrong. And to try to use this whole domestic violence thing and this survivor t shirt, oh my gosh. I just ooh, mm-hmm. I wanted to drop kick her, but you know, I didn't. Maybe she's getting drop kick in prison right now. I hope somebody drop kicks her. Hmm. Well, my case also ends in uh, prison. So, we can get into that. Well, alrighty. So, I am talking about Mark Gudo. Mark Gudo was born in 1964 in Phoenix as the second youngest of 13 children. Ooh, gracious. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of kids. You know, I have personal feelings about families that are that large. It's <laughs> a lot of people. I mean, you're bound to have you're bound to have someone you're bound to have a criminal and that many kids. Right. It just seems like the odds are against you. Like once you get over like five. Yeah, because like I I don't know how raising a kid goes, but raising thirteen kids sounds like a very hard task and very expensive responsibility. Yeah, and like who who can keep up with all those people? I don't know. I can barely remember names of my coworkers. Right. I can barely remember the names of all you you guys in my family. Mm-hmm. There's only there's only ten of us. I was right. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant like our whole little family unit, like <laughs> all of us together. There's only ten of us. <laughs> it seems like it sometimes. Yeah. So his parents were Willie and Alberta Gudo. Half of the siblings would say that Willie was strict, though the household was peaceful. The other half would say Willie was verbally abusive and that alcoholism ran in the family. Now, Alberta died in 1976 when Mark was only 12. He went to high school at Corona del Sol High in Tempe, Arizona. And he went to a school named Corona del Sol High. That's Crown of the Sun. Thanks, six years of Spanish. <laughs> I knew what a Honda del Sol was. I knew that meant the sun. But I didn't Back know to your story. Back to your story. <laughs> okay. Not a Honda del Sol. <laughs> he was good at sports and played football. Mark didn't graduate due to not having enough credits, though. On November 7th, 1982, he and his brother were arrested for raping a young woman, but no charges were pursued. He was charged with with trespassing in 1987 and with driving under the influence in 1988. In in August of 1989, he was charged with abducting with abducting a woman, brutally raping and bludgeoning her. He claimed that she willingly had oral sex with him and that the rape and assault was the work of two other men. He was sentenced to 15 years for the abduction and 21 years for a robbery in 1990. Okay, I was about to say, don't tell me they bought that story. <laughs> no, no, they didn't at all. He got he got put behind bars. Only temporarily, though. After serving 13 years in prison as a model inmate, he was paroled in 2004 and moved into a house with his wife, Wendy Carr. Though his neighbors all knew that he served time in jail, he was so well-liked that they could look past it. He even got a job as a construction worker. The year after his parole, 
the baseline killer crimes began. Hmm. That's a coinky dink. Yeah, I wonder if there's any correlation to this guy. Right. So, Gudo's targets when he wasn't financially motivated were women, except for Chow Chu, whose death appeared to have been incidental. When he killed the victims, they were typically snatched from a public corner, taken to some secluded nearby place, and shot in the head. Oh my gosh. Gudo apparently used some kind of disguise or ruse when committing some crimes, such as wearing a Halloween mask to conceal his identity, approaching his victims and asking for a ride, or even pretending to be a homeless man or a drug addict seeking help. He appears to have been able to change his appearance simply by changing hairstyle or wearing different hats. Overall, Gudo committed 15 acts of sexual assault, 11 kidnappings, and 9 murders. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so... Yeah, his reign didn't even last that long either, honestly. But he, he got a lot of work done in a short amount of time. So, this right here is getting into the investigation piece. The Phoenix Police released hundreds of pages of documents that detail their investigation into the baseline killer. The paperwork obtained by ABC 15 News revealed that police had at least 10 names of possible suspects that they had looked into. And that they had already ruled out some people from that list. The 20,000 pages of police reports were primarily of other suspects with very little mention of Mark Gudo. The documents revealed information on nine cases ranging from a double homicide to sexual assaults, robberies, and kidnappings. The new information included police reports and narratives that describe where and who police were looking at in the investigation. They also discussed investigative leads. However, much of the information was redacted. According to the documents, the baseline killer posed as a homeless person in one incident, pushing a shopping cart toward a woman in a parking lot near 32nd Street and Thomas Road. He forced himself into her car and told her to perform oral sex upon him or he would kill her. She fought him off, the record said. And then that her. Yeah, yeah, definitely like, fight back. Like, Sure, this bozo has a weapon, but at least, like, you know, put up a fight. Like, don't just, you know. Right, because, I mean, you could possibly get killed either way. You can do everything that he says, and he and still, he can still can kill you. Or you can fight like hell, possibly get some DNA on you somewhere, you know, leave some physical evidence that can get him caught. And then, unfortunately, still die. But maybe, you know, there's a way for you to be or to have justice at some point. Yeah. And and, th- and this is why it's a good reason to keep something in your car. Like, keep mace in your car, like, you know, in a location that's near your door. So that if someone forces you into your car, when you shut your door, you know that location. And while you're shutting the door, you can grab that and just spray the hell out of them. But then since you're in a car, though, you got to hold your ref, too, because it would also affect you. And it will burn, I'm sure. Yeah, I've been inadvertently maced before, and it is, it's painful. 
Yeah, I bet. <laughs> In that incident, the man, believed to be the baseline killer, was wearing gloves, a mask, and clothing that covered his entire body. The records show police worked to obtain partial handprints, DNA, and ballistic ballistics reports to build up their case, but those results were blacked out on the paperwork. Suspicious. Quite. While being interviewed by police in Kentucky on a burglary case, James Dwayne Mullins claimed responsibility for the murder of Georgia Thompson on September 8, 2005. Mullins told police that he shot Thompson as she attempted to rob him outside the Scottsdale Strip Club where she worked. However, Thompson's body was found approximately 10 miles, 16 kilometers, away in Tempe at her apartment complex. Police do not believe she was killed elsewhere. And then James Mullins changed his story when police definitively linked the homicide to the baseline killer. Since then, he has told police that he was not in, in Arizona. Mullins denies any involvement in Thompson's death. On August 3rd, 2006, murder charges against Mullins were dropped. Authorities stated that Mullins had caused a significant diversion of resources during the hunt for the genuine killer. And now all the pieces start coming together. So, the first crime attributed to the baseline killer took place August 6, 2005. The perpetrator forced three teenage girls behind a church and molested two of them. He's oh believed, yeah, he's an awful man. He is believed to, to have committed his first murder a month later. Over the course of the following 11 months, he committed several robberies, sexual assaults, and a total of eight additional murders. On September 7, 2006, police announced that they had arrested suspect, Gudo, for a double rape committed on September 20, 2005, attributed to the baseline killer. He was proven guilty of the crime through DNA evidence, tried for all 19 counts of related attacks, and sentenced to 438 years. He has been proven guilty of other baseline killer crimes through DNA, ballistic, and circumstantial evidence. On Halloween 2011, Gudo was found guilty of all the baseline killer murders and all other related charges except for three counts of robbery and one of kidnapping. In November, he was sentenced to death and is currently held at death row at Arizona State Prison Complex, Iman. His friends and family strongly defend him, insisting that the Phoenix police have arrested the wrong man. Some have even gone as far as to accuse them of framing Gudo for the crimes. His wife has since been running a website maintaining his innocence since 2007. And that website is mgudoinnocent.blogspot.com. So, it's very interesting because when I saw the part that um, the, the, some of the results were blacked out, that sounded like an inside kind of job to me also. Right. And Gudo is an African-American man. And he had a history of crime dealing with rape and like robbery. So I could see I could see why they would choose him to frame if he is being framed. But it is honestly just the craziest thing. And this was 
like yeah, so 2011 he was um he was since death and he is still currently on death row. They have not killed him yet. Yeah, like people stay on death row for a long time. Like um I was watching a Netflix special called I'm a Killer and this guy he was he murdered a guy was found guilty like back in like the early 90s I believe was given the death sentence in Texas and you know Texas don't play they will death sentence you quick fast and in a hurry mm. however like three years after he was convicted there was a change made to the um like the law and it like retroactively went into effect. So his sentence got commuted from death to life. But in Texas, life, you get parole, you get um the possibility of parole after 30 years. So he ended up actually getting paroled because he was like a model prisoner. Like he was very remorseful. He admitted what he did. He was very remorseful about killing the uh the man that he had killed, he said, like, you know, he wished he hadn't done it, that, you know, nothing he says can bring him, can bring the man back. He was very sorry to his family. Like, he he really showed genuine remorse that he wished he hadn't done what he done. So he ended up getting paroled after 30 years. But it's like, that right there is like, a, you know, a one in a million story these people be on death row for like 20, 30 years. And it's just so crazy. You know, it's like, what's the point of the death, death penalty. If you know, people don't actually get killed by the jail. Like, you know, just give, give them life instead. Life without parole instead of life with parole. Yeah. Life without parole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, why, why even bother to go through all that? Like put the juries through that, if you're not really going to execute anybody. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Me either. But, you know, that's the way the states like to do it. So. And it gives us nice discussion for our podcast listeners. Yes. Chime in on how you feel. Are you opposed to death penalty or are you for it? Do you think America should just abolish it altogether? Every state? Because, you know, like some countries won't extradite people back to America, like criminals back because of the death penalty. Right. And as you're thinking about that, think about the list of crimes that this man committed. 15 sexual assaults, 11 kidnappings and nine murders. Let That's that let, let that let that marinate while you're considering should the death penalty exist or not. Right. It's like I understand both sides of the the argument for and against the death penalty. It's like my thing is it just takes a very long time. It's like you're you're just like taxing the American workers to keep these people alive when they have a death sentence. Like I just don't truly get that. But then also like, you know, there's a lot of people who could possibly potentially be innocent and be on death row. 
So you don't want to like just execute everybody in a week and then come mm-hmm. to find out, you know, some people were not so, even guilty. Yeah, they weren't. Yeah. So it's like I can understand it from both sides. That was crazy. And I cannot believe his wife is still running a website trying to prove his innocence. I mean, it, it is like it is interesting because I mean, even though even though they say that the DNA and everything, the DNA and ballistics linked back to him, there were parts of the other there are parts of the investigation that were blacked out that were like, you know, trying redacted. to be Yeah, redacted. So what's going on there? They should like they should put everything up front if this really is that man. So, you know, I I don't know. It it has me has me kind of like uh has me on the seesaw right now. I don't know if I should go all the way down or go up. I wonder if it was things that were redacted, like related to the victims, like maybe an underage victim, so they didn't want their information out. Okay, that makes sense because there what? were there were like the three um, teenage girls. Yeah, I wonder if like that's the information that was was redacted, like anything that could potentially identify them. And, you know, people are just using that as an excuse, like, oh, they're not even giving us all the information. You know, it could be one of those type of situations. Yeah, yeah. I got got you. I got you now. So, bringing this back up. I want to talk about my time on The Coco Show with David Strand. Now, David and I go back to like 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Like we've known each other for a super long time. We've always been really cool. Always been like, you know, just hanging tough like new kids on the block. I really just showed my age there. (laughs) Yes, it did. But so he, you know, he... Uh, is also here in South Carolina and he knew that we had a podcast so he invited me on to be a special guest and let me talk about our podcast and you know we talked about like the Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy we talked a little bit about the case I just mentioned where the guy got released after 30 years even though he was originally given a death sentence and you know their show is very off the cuff like there's no like pre-done research or telling a story like ours it's like you know everybody is just talking and giving their opinions and it was it was a really good time and I hope everybody hopefully it will be released well when you hear this it should be released by then so this ep when you hear this episode their episode the first episode I was on should be released. The second episode was with another podcaster as well. And he talked about his podcast, which is a more um, veteran religious type podcast. Like um, he's a veteran of the Navy and his name was Van and his um podcast is he and five other veterans I believe um sit and they like you know discuss life things and they kind of correlate it back to the bible his podcast is called king's table 
and it was like really good talking to him like we talked about more serious stuff like you know how boys are more emotionally like not shut down but like you know when boys are little they're told don't cry toughen up and how that like kind of forms your psyche into being an adult male and how like detrimental that can be wow okay Okay. So that that was like a really good conversation that we had, but that's the type of of things that that his podcast talk about. So two great shows, the Coco Show with David Strand, and shout out to both of them. Thanks for having me on Coco Show on both episodes. I had so much fun. I'm probably going to go back. You possibly are going to lose me as a co-host. Um, their show is just so fun. It's like just so wild and everywhere. It it was just a trip. Wow, listen to that. Might lose you as a co-host. Jeez. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, this would be... I shouldn't talk about this with V. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you have anything? No, nah, just, just the regular... Um, thank you to our, our listeners for Absolutely. being... For being with us and still listening and everything yes thank you to our international listeners i see we got some people from poland new zealand australia you know i always love you guys england like everywhere canada oh canada even though i feel like you're like our upstairs neighbor not really international still love you guys and same goes for mexico you're like our downstairs neighbor not really international, but still love you guys all the same. And like, we would not do this if you guys did not tune in. So thanks for giving us a purpose. Thank you. Have some, have something to wake up in the morning for now, you know, have something to look forward to. Yeah. Something that doesn't pay us, but we just get that internal joy from it. (laughs) And as always, our Twitter and Instagram, WSTAT underscore pod. We shouldn't talk about this podcast Facebook group. And we shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com. If you want to send us any cases, hit us up on any of those. We will gladly take suggestions. And also, like we mentioned at the beginning, our We Shouldn't Talk About This YouTube channel Leave us a comment, a like, a subscribe, you know, help us out, help us grow, help more people get to find the podcast that you also enjoy. Yeah. Tell your friends, your family, your enemies, tell everyone about us. Tell everyone. When you leave the house, put it, put it on for your dog or cat listen to so they're not in the house alone. Right. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. (laughs) Absolutely. So, with that, I am V. And I'm Key. And thank you for listening. We shouldn't talk about this. Bye.